Lauren Kennedy. Hey, hey. Good morning. You guys can have a seat. You're so kind. You're going to have to deal with my southern accent today. Come on. All right, a little southern in here. Uh, and, and just to make sure everybody's clear, that's Greenville, North Carolina, not South Carolina, okay? And so I'm from, I'm from North Carolina, the real Carolina. Uh, but it is so good to be with you guys. Honored to be here. Um, you guys, Pastor Brady is one of the greatest pastors I know. And uh, it is evidenced by what he's doing today for Glenn, but it is also evidence in him believing in me and inviting me here. Uh, he is an amazing leader. And uh, I love to tell this story every time I introduce him. He's an apostolic elder at our church in Eastern North Carolina. And, and every time I introduce him, uh, when I became senior pastor seven years ago, there were three men that I wanted to model our church after. And one of those was Brady Boyd. And to think today that I'm standing on the stage and he's given me this opportunity is really a dream come true. Can you just put your hands together? I know he's watching. Say thank you to Pastor Brady. He's an amazing man, amazing leader. And I love New Life Church. You guys are awesome. I love Colorado Springs. There is no such thing as humidity here. Thank the Lord. There ain't no bugs here. I mean, it's, it's like paradise. I feel like I've gone to heaven and uh, it's awesome to be here with you guys. And New Life has played an important role in my life uh, through these, really these last 20 years of me being in ministry and full-time ministry. I'm going to explain a little bit about that as we get into the message. If you have your Bible, we're going to dive on in today. We're going to look at Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 15. We're going to look at a familiar passage of scripture and we're going to kind of journey through this passage of scripture and then I've got some thoughts that I just really believe the Holy Spirit wants me to share with you, challenge you in, hopefully convict you in a little bit, and really encourage you in as well. Title of today's message is The Prodigal Father. The Prodigal Father. If you've been in church for any period of time, maybe not even had to been in church for any period of time, you've probably heard this story. And I love this story because really it's the story of us all. And we're going to read the text today and just see what the Holy Spirit does. We're starting verse number 11. It goes on to say, to illustrate the point further, so all of chapter 15 is really Jesus speaking to the Pharisees and Sadducees. He's not speaking to his disciples. They were giving Jesus a very difficult time because he was eating and drinking with sinners and tax collectors. And so they're giving him a hard time. And all of chapter 15 is referencing that in Jesus teaching them in parables. And Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your bougie estate now, before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. And a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted it all on his money or all his money in wild living. Now, I don't know what wild living is, but how many of you know that sin is fun for a season? Or can we say that in church? All right, did anybody have fun sinning for a season? Come on, we can say that. Now listen, the issue with sin is that it comes with a price and eventually we have to pay that price. But thank Jesus that he paid the price for all of our sin. Come on, somebody. You're either gonna help me preach today or I'm gonna make you happy. Let's get it. Goes on to say, a few days later, he wasted all the wild living. About the same time, his money ran out and a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hangry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Can we all agree 
that you got to be really hungry for what you feed pigs to look good. Now, listen, I was in Texas uh, speaking a message recently, and, and, I, and I, brought, I, I used it as a joke, and I thought it was funny. The Texans did not, okay? <laughs> but my thing was, the Texans, and the only really issue I have, I love them, is that they actually think barbecue comes from cows. <laughs> barbecue doesn't come from cows where I'm from. We have real barbecue in the South, and it comes from pigs. Come on, somebody. <laughs> How many of you like some bacon? Yes, Lord. All right, now, <laughs> now this, this, I got a standing O over here. I got a witness in the house. Uh, so here's the deal with, with, with the pig's reference, though, is that this was an atrocity to the Jewish people. It was an unclean animal. So this son is literally fallen to the depths of hanging out with pigs and eating what they eat. Jesus is proving this point to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough uh, food to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. He's developing this plan. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son and he embraced him and kissed him. I want you to see that scene, embracing his filth, kissing his filth. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father stopped him and said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. So cover his filth, get a ring for his finger, restore the authority and put sandals on his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and he has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found and the parte began. Listen to me, new life. I don't know where you are in your relationship with Jesus. What I can tell you is all it takes is for you to turn and come home. I love this thought that the father didn't put the son in time out. He didn't make him earn back favor. He didn't say to the son, hey, you need to prove yourself for a season before you can be counted as my son again. Listen to me, the story of the gospel is no matter how far you've fallen, how far away from Jesus you are, all you gotta do is come back home and our father will restore you as sons and daughters. Come on, somebody. Oh, it's good news. Because we've all been in this story before and we've seen God redeem what no man or woman can. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. Look at your neighbor and say, you don't want to be that guy. All right. It says, when he returned home, he heard the music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother's back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. Real quick, isn't it amazing that the father left the home twice? Wants to go get the younger son, meet him on the road, and wants to go find the older brother. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never even gave me a young goat for a feast with my friends. Isn't it interesting that the older brother didn't want to eat with the father? He wanted to eat with his friends. Yet when this son of yours, I thought he was a brother. 
comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Listen, I love this story because in one way or another, we can all find ourselves as the prodigal son. It's a story of us all. We have all been a prodigal at one point or another in our life. But the parable isn't about the younger son. The context of the parable is actually he's speaking to older brothers. And what he's saying is either we will take on the heart of the father or we will in turn become the older brother. I want you to hear this statement. I kind of want you to ruminate on it maybe throughout the day because it's a big one. There is no greater truth in all of scripture than that God desires to be known as a father. Have you ever thought about of all the things that God can name himself, he named himself father. Do you think it's any wonder why the enemy does everything he can in our life to maybe come in this place of not fully trusting him as father? And I would even go further to say that that's the greatest truth, but the greatest revelation that any of us will ever really receive is that he is an actual good one. You know, when we talk about the journey of discipleship and we talk about what does it mean to become really a follower of Jesus, can I tell you as a pastor, I'm still learning that I can put my full trust in him that he's a good father. There's still times and there's still seasons and there's still moments that we encounter that we're like, can we fully trust that? But can I tell you that we can, but it's the journey that we're all on. It's a truth but it's also a revelation. Listen, there are over 200 references in the New Testament alone to God being our Father. The exclusive way that Jesus referred to God was that he was that of a Father. Now listen, today is a full circle moment in my life, and let me explain. My dad started our church 38 years ago, and he put me in as senior pastor seven years ago. He was an incredible man. He loved God. He was a man of character. Open Door Church used to be 50 people. And just over the years, it has grown to be what it is today. One of the things that I loved about my father is that when he transitioned the church to me, he didn't leave. He actually ran beside me in ministry. And he said, Aaron, I'll do anything that I can to help you. And, and in fact, he did that. And he began to travel with me as I would go to other places. He he really helped me become pastored by Pastor Brady, Jimmy Witcher, these guys that's pouring and speaking to my life. And it was on one such trip that we came to Colorado Springs together. And uh, my daddy loved a good steak, right? And so I found the best steakhouse and he was so proud of just all the things that God was doing in my life and in our church's life and in my sister's life. And we came here, we went to Flying Horse Steakhouse, which is... Uh, down the road, and I'm looking forward to a good steak in Jesus' name, right? <laughs> Get there, and, uh, and we have this amazing meal together. It, it, it was like, it, it was, I can't even put it into context how much it meant to my dad to be 
in this environment. And we were going to an event that Pastor Brady was putting on the next day. And so we had this amazing meal, had this great time reflecting on all that God had done. And we got done with the meal and we went to our rooms and he was staying right across the hall from me. And my daddy looked at me and he said, I love you, son. Good night. And that night, my daddy closed the door, went to sleep, and he woke up in the arms of Jesus. My daddy passed away two and a half years ago in Colorado Springs. It was a moment of grief that I have never experienced before. It was a season of grief that I've never experienced before. In fact, one of the most beautiful things is that Pastor Brady, you know, called me. The team here was unbelievable. And after that day, we were, you know, getting everything squared away and, and walking through everything, telling everybody, telling the church back home. But, but I needed to stay here for a little while while they completed all the stuff at the hospital. And I came to New Life in the prayer room and I worshiped. And it was a moment that I'll always remember because it was out of great pain that I worshiped. I discovered something in that season about God is that he doesn't try to usher us through grief, but he walks through grief with us. That grief isn't something to just get past. Grief is something to journey through. And if you find yourself in a deep place of grief today, you're not odd, you're not weird, you're not broken. But in fact, it is in those places that God reveals how great he is. For six months, we, you know, begin to deal with a pandemic. If you remember two and a half years ago, that was going on too. And so I was in this moment of crisis management and, and the Holy Spirit was so kind. He would come to me and he would say, hey, you, you ready to talk about your daddy? And I'd be like, nope. And I do not want to talk about that. And here I was a pastor. I was reading the Bible. I was preparing the messages. I was preaching. I was doing all these things. But every once in a while, the Holy Spirit would come and I just was not ready. And it was six months later I was sitting at my desk one morning and I pushed everything away and I said, all right, what do you have to say? What do you have to say about my father? And guys, I don't know how else to say it other than the Holy Spirit said some things specifically to my heart that I needed to hear and it was like oxygen filling my lungs again. And then he gave me a statement and I'm gonna share that statement with you today because it forever changed my life. And when I give it to you, it's not a gender specific statement, though I'm going to give it to you in the exact way it was given to me. And it was gender specific to me. But when God spoke this statement, I knew it was a statement that I would speak about in every stage that I get the opportunity to stand on and preach, that it was for our church and it was a massive shift that was happening in the kingdom. And that day, this is what he spoke to my heart. He said, fathers don't raise sons to be sons. Fathers raise sons to be fathers. Fathers don't raise sons to be sons. Fathers raise sons to be fathers. What I knew is there was a massive shift happening in me, but it was also a spiritual shift. And I began to realize that God wanted me to have a different perspective. Sonship is a qualifier, but it is not the destination. God didn't call Abraham to be a son. He called him to be a father. David wanted to build God a temple for his presence, but God wanted to establish David's household so that Solomon, his son, could build it. 
The greatest example that we have of generational ministry is Jesus himself. We don't know what happened with Joseph, but all of Jesus' life, Father God was present through the person of the Holy Spirit, guiding Jesus, walking with Jesus. But you know who also was present? Mary. Very little people, few people discuss and really think about that Mary was there at Jesus' conception and she was there at Jesus' ascension. She walked beside him in ministry his entire life. I wanna give you a few thoughts about this fathering heart of God and what I believe that he's doing in this day. And I pray that you would just be ministered to and encouraged in these. The first one is this, a father's heart is always hopeful. A father's heart is always hopeful. I would say it this way, the posture of hope is preparation. You can always tell by how hopeful someone is, by how they're preparing to receive and to get that which they are hoping for. One of my favorite thoughts about the story that we read is that daddy was fattening the calf before that boy ever came home. He was already hopeful. He was already preparing. He was sitting out on the porch deck and he was waiting to see a sign of that boy coming home. Romans 4, 18 through 21, we just spoke about Abraham. It's one of my favorite passages of scripture. It says, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept on hoping believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about a hundred years of age, listen to me, listen, I don't care how seasoned you are. A hundred years old is old. Can we agree on that? It goes on to say, he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced. Somebody say fully convinced. Oh, that God is able to do whatever he promises. Listen, in the spite of having no signs and reason for hope, Abraham was able to keep on hoping because he knew something about the character of God, that God doesn't always do what we want him to do, but God will always come through in his timing. Come on, somebody in this house. We can trust that. We can know that. My boys taught me a little bit about hope. So they, they love tennis shoes. I got any parents that have some kids that like tennis shoes, all right? All right, they, they're sneakerheads, pray for them. And uh, so they came to me one day, we were getting ready to go to the mall and my oldest was like, hey dad, I wanna take you to this new sneaker store. I knew I was getting set up. Start having to pray in the spirit, get strong. You ain't gonna get me devil, all right? I wanna give every parent in this room hope. I walked out of that store that day and I did not buy a single pair of shoes. Come on, somebody. Victory in Jesus. I had this evil thought that I was gonna buy a pair for myself and that was gonna teach them a lesson. Don't you ever bring me into a sneaker store again. Uh, these shoes were hideous, okay? They were terrible. Charles Barkley, terrible, okay? And, 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 and they were all different colors. They looked like space cadet shoes. And, and so the kids started running around and they were all saran wrapped and they have a barcode on the bottom of them. And they go up to a machine and they scan them to figure out what body part a parent's gonna have to sell to buy these things. <laughs> I looked at my oldest and I was like, you brought the wrong person. This is why God created grandparents. <laughs> True story, right? This is why God created them. Now listen, here's the participatory part of the message. 
What were my boys hoping for? What did they want? Shoes, right? That's not bad. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Who are they hoping in? I had the money. They were hoping that I would buy them. Listen to me. When we anchor our hope in God doing what we want, our hope is fragile. It's not bad to believe God for things. But if my hope is anchored in him doing what I want him to do, how many of us have been living this life of faith long enough that we're just as happy for the unanswered prayers as we are for the ones that he answered. Listen to me. But when we are meant to anchor our hope in who he is, his character, the fact that he has never left me nor forsaken me, that when I look back over my life of faith, I can tell you that God has been faithful even when I wasn't faithful, that God has come through every single time. I can anchor my hope in his character, in the fact that he's a good father who actually takes good care of his children. I don't just have to anchor my hope in what he's going to do. I can anchor my hope in what he's already done. And in that place, my hope is secure. Come on, somebody. We get to that place of recognizing that's what our hope is meant to be anchored in. And what I noticed about my boys that day is that they left that store and they weren't crying, they weren't mad, they weren't upset. You know why? Because their shoe games are already strong. And what they know is their daddy wants to take care of them. Do you understand how much of a difference it makes when we know that God is a good father? And there's sometimes the only way to discover that is to walk through seasons that are hard. A father's heart is always hopeful. Number two, a father's heart dreams generationally. A father's heart dreams generationally. Listen to me, church, it's time to dream again. I, I noticed during the pandemic and these last three years of really tough leadership that I'd stopped dreaming. I'd started surviving. And the Holy Spirit came to me. He's like, Aaron, you need to dream again. Listen to me. Long before Abraham became a father, God gave him a dream that was generational. The dreams of God, God dreams, are the oxygen of our hope. It's literally like we breathe in oxygen that lifes the hope within us. Listen, God wants to graft you into a dream that's bigger than you. And he wants to give you a dream that's bigger than you also. Listen, God wants to grab. Let me speak to the younger generation just for a second. We live in a day and age where everybody is like, God wants to give you a dream. God wants to give you a dream. Can I challenge you in something? God is the one that dreams. And instead of us always looking for our dream, we need to find the God dreams that he's already dreamed and connect our life to them and give our life to them. Listen, there was a dream that God had for New Life Church in Colorado Springs. It wasn't something that a man came up with. It wasn't something that a woman came up with. It was God's dream for this area. Aaron, how do you know? Because we've been through fire. We've been through testing. We've been through hardship. And yet it still remains. There is a move of God because God dreamed that this place would take place. Coming to this thing that we realize, hey, God, what are your dreams, God? Let me connect to those. God, 
dreams generationally. Many times before God will give you your own dream, he will ask you to steward someone else's. Joel chapter 2, 28 through 29 says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. I had my legacy pastor at Open Door. I was speaking on that verse and he came to me and he said, Aaron, he said, I really have something I need to share with you. I was like, all right, what, what you got? And he said, you know, the old man will dream dreams and the young man will see visions or the old man will see visions and the young man will dream dreams. He said, they're seeing the same thing. They're just seeing it from two different perspectives. He said, they're not dreaming different stuff and seeing different stuff. It's God's dream, it's God's vision, and they're seeing the same thing, but just from two different perspectives. What God wants to do in this day is for generations to run together. Listen to me, I wanna to speak to the more seasoned, older people in the room. Listen, I am grateful for your faithfulness. I'm grateful for the history that you have of running after Jesus. But can I tell you, your best days are not done yet. My generation doesn't need a baton passed and then for you to exit. We need you to run beside us. We need you to run with us. Listen, the great revival that God wants to bring to this nation and to the world is when fathers and mothers run alongside sons and daughters and we begin to see God do what only he can do in this day. We don't need you to get out of the race. We need you to buckle in and let's go together because God has awesome things to do. What one generation dreams, another generation will see. God dream, or God's dream is bigger than one woman or one man can accomplish. Fathers and mothers dream beyond what their natural eyes will see and what their lives will enable them to accomplish. The greatest gift that my father ever gave me was a God dream that he did not finish. It was something that I could grab a hold of and run with as well. Point number three, a father's heart leaves a spiritual heritage. A father's heart leaves a spiritual heritage. Psalm 78 verse four says, we will not hide these truths from our children, but we will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. Listen, whenever I share at Open Door Church, whenever I share in a congregation like this, I realize that I'm speaking to many first generation Christians. And I get asked all the time, Aaron, why is this so hard? Why is living the life of faith so hard? Why do I feel fault or that there's fighting at every turn? Can I tell you why? It's because the enemy knows what will come from you. The enemy knows what generations will be impacted, what family lines will be impacted, what di dynamic you're shifting in your family even as we speak here this morning. Listen to me, I wanna encourage you, you keep fighting. You keep getting up every single time you fall down. You keep pursuing Jesus with everything that you have. There might be one day a young man who from Eastern North Carolina, who stands on a stage in Colorado Springs because of your faithfulness to chase after Jesus with all of your heart. It might be hard, but what's coming from you is going to bless many people because of your faithfulness. Come on somebody if you believe it. I love that song that we sing 
uh, that Carrie Joe wrote uh, several years ago, and it's the blessing. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? To the thousandth generation. And that song is so beautiful because somebody finally figured out the thing about the good part of that verse. That verse actually comes out of Exodus chapter 25 and six. And there's a negative to it also. Some of you know it. The sins of the father will be passed down to the third and fourth generation. Uh, how many of y'all got some skeletons in your closet? How many of you got some stuff in your past that you'd rather not talk about? How many of you got some family members that you don't even like to see on Thanksgiving or Christmas? You know what I'm talking about? Here's the deal is that that's what you're changing in your family. Yet the sins of the fathers are passed down to their fourth generation. Galatians 3, though, talks about how the curse was broken because of the cross. What I love about Calvary is there were some things that were cut off and there were some things that passed through. The curse was broken, but the blessing of God passed through. What that speaks to is that we're able to release generational blessing in our family, but it goes further than that because I need us to be reminded that we were adopted into the actual family of God. So therefore, every promise, every blessing that goes all the way back to Abraham is now made available in my life. Listen, I might have some jacked up stuff in my family line, but God adopted me into his family. So now I get all the blessing and the goodness that comes with being a son and daughter of almighty God. This is the good news of the gospel is that it's not about my earthly flesh, but it's about his goodness and what he did for me at Calvary. Come on, somebody. All right, last point. I'm preaching better this service. You know what I'm saying? I'm having a good time. I tell you though, the, 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 the where, where, altitude, it'll get you here. <laughs> I went on a hike yesterday. And I was like, what is wrong with me? <laughs> All right. Number four, father's heart adopts children. It doesn't just create them. A father's heart adopts children. It doesn't just create them. I am fully aware here at New Life that you guys believe wholeheartedly in adoption. I love this passage of scripture, Galatians 3, 28. It says, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ. Isn't it amazing that the Bible speaks to every issue in our culture today? The story of the gospel has always been Hey, you're an outcast? Come join our family. Uh, you don't fit in? You can fit in here. You don't look like me? Not a big deal. Come be a part of the family. You're a different color than I am. Not a big deal. Come be a part of the family. You're a part of a denomination. <gasps> you can still come be a part of our family. You're a mess. We're all a mess here. Come be a part of our family. I got some bad issues in my life. We all got bad issues in our life. Come be a part of my family. The gospel message is the message of adoption. It says this isn't about just us creating sons and daughters, but it's about God bringing together a family of different ages, of different stages different backgrounds, different issues. 
and he brings us together. And it's actually in our differences that we are powerful. It's actually in the places that we're most frustrated sometimes that the greatest grace will show itself and reveal itself in our life because it's God not building something that's just beautiful in the world's eyes, but it's beautiful in His because it's brought together by His love and by His blood. Listen, there are many people that could stand on this stage and talk to you today about the damage that is done by having bad fathers and mothers. But for a long time, I know that my message to the body of Christ would be the blessing that comes with having a good one. Listen to me, church. Receive the Father's heart of God. Oh, it's hopeful. Even when there is no reason to hope, I'm gonna keep on hoping. Oh, it dreams generational. Oh, this isn't about what we are going to see, but it's about what we are going to sow. And we're gonna see that God is the one who will take care of the harvest. It's about a heritage that we're leaving so that people behind us will reap the benefit and the goodness. There are things that I am reaping today that my grandfather sowed before me. And I am going to be faithful to adopt sons and daughters, just like my father and my spiritual fathers have done before me. There's plenty of room in the family of God. Come be a part. Come be a part of the greatest family on earth. It's dysfunctional sometimes. It's a little cray cray, but we are a great family and it is his spirit that makes us one. I want you to just bow your heads and close your eyes as we close today. In my response today and in response time, as I felt three things that I wanted to minister to before we move on with our service. The first one is, I really felt like there are some people in this place that are discouraged. That like, if you're gonna use a word that describes your season right now, you're discouraged. Um, I'm, I'm coming out of the last probably three or four weeks where I've been the most discouraged that I've been in a long time. And what's interesting about that is I have no reason to be. A discouragement doesn't make sense all the time. In fact, encouragement, you have to actually have courage put into you. That's what encouragement means. Discouragement means you're having courage taken out of you. For many of you today, the enemy is trying to take courage out of you. You literally feel like a computer that's getting the life, the power sucked out of you. And today I believe the Lord wants to encourage you through the Holy Spirit. The second word that I felt was hopeless. There's some of you in this place that God has spoken words over your life and He wants to remind you of them today. And, and for some reason in this season of waiting, you've become hopeless. Like you don't have any oxygen in your spiritual life. You, you literally feel like I can't get my breath. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants to minister deeply to that. And the third thing, probably one of the favorite things that I get to do is if you are a mom or dad and you have a prodigal son or daughter that you are waiting to come home, maybe they're off in the pig pen, maybe they're making a mess of it. I want to pray for all those mamas and daddies today. So if you're wrestling with discouragement, 
wrestling with hopelessness or you have a prodigal, I want you to just stand to your feet, get courage. Let's stand to our feet. I'm gonna pray for you right where you're at. I'm not gonna call you forward. I just wanna pray for you all over this place. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I'm discouraged, Aaron. I don't even know why. Um, I'm hopeless, Aaron. I just want you to get in a posture of receiving this morning. People standing all over this place. Lift your hands. Get in a receiving posture. And we're going to pray. Let's just pray. Father, first off, thank you for the honesty in this room. This should be the easiest place to be honest, but sometimes it can be the hardest. So Father, I pray for everyone today that's battling discouragement. Lord, even by this act of faith that they're standing, Lord, I pray that you would pour courage into them today, every single one of them. That Lord, literally, I'm so grateful that in the Greek, that literally means you put courage into us. You put courage into us. So Father, today, I pray for every single one of them, that Lord, they would feel filled up with your courage, that they would leave here knowing that the enemy is under their feet. Oh, it might not feel like it all the time, but the reality, the truth is he's under our feet. Lord, I pray for those that are hopeless today. Lord, I pray that their spiritual lungs would begin to breathe again, that you would remind them of the dreams of God, that you remind them of the prophetic words. Lord, I know it's been a long season of waiting, but Lord, remind them of your goodness. Remind them of what you've spoken. Lord, I pray that you would wake them up and remind them of that dream, remind them of that vision, remind them of that word that they had when they were a student. Remind them of that word that came on a first Wednesday night. God, remind us of your words that we might breathe again, hope into our lungs, our spiritual lungs. And Father, I pray for every mama and daddy in this place that are waiting for a son or daughter to come home. Lord, I'm so grateful today that you called me home. I'm so grateful that you found me in the pig pen. And the same Holy Spirit that drew me is the same one that will draw their sons and daughters. Lord, I pray that you would encourage them, that they would keep believing, that they would keep fattening the calf, that Lord, they would keep sitting on the front porch waiting for any sign that their son or daughter are coming home. Lord, we put our faith in your word that when you raise a child in the way that they should go, that when they are old, they will not depart from it. And Lord, I'm also grateful for your grace that even when we as parents make mistakes you're the good father you're the good parent lord we give you praise we give you glory yours is the only name that matters in jesus name amen can we give a praise today church can you all stand to your feet we're going to worship jesus today as we get ready to close and listen thank you thank you because today you helped a place of pain for me become a place of testimony in my life. Unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it cannot produce life. Today, my daddy's death two and a half years ago produced life. Love you guys.
how good is he far beyond what eyes could ever see yet he stands in front of me how good is he he paints a canvas with a million stars yet still he holds my heart Our Father in heaven, the light salvation. Know how good is He? The breath of Almighty before and behind me. Know how good is He? How good is He?
Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I want to invite you to go ahead and grab hold of the communion elements. And here we are again. We get to come to this table and take of this meal. What an amazing thing that we get to do this. And we get to do it together. As we get ready to partake together, I just want to invite you, just turn to your left or right and just share a smile. Just look around in the room a little bit. I love how the New Testament says it this way. See, once we, we were not a people once, but now we're a people. We're a family now. Why? How can that be? It's because we were all adopted into the same family. And we have our adoption papers right here. This is how it happened. This is what Jesus did. He gave of his body and his blood so that now we can all sit right here at the same table. So I want to invite you to take that wafer in your hand. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. And so here, 2,000 years later, we still look back and we remember him. And we do this in remembrance of him. We eat together. And after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this is, this is my blood of the new covenant. As often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. We drink together. The scriptures tell us that after they had eaten of the bread and drank of the cup, they sang a hymn together. So come on, let's lift our voice together as we sing to him. God together as a family. Just, just a few thoughts here as we come to a close. In just a few moments, I'll pray for us. And then uh, I'm going to invite the prayer team to come forward. Because once the service is over, if there's something on your heart that you need prayer, uh, please give us the privilege. Let us pray with you. So prayer team, you guys can go ahead and come now. And then if you're new around here, uh, we'd love to meet you at Guest Central. That's out these middle doors, just to the left a bit. And uh, if you have any questions at all, we can get those answered there. Also, I want to let you, uh, section 12 right here, everyone who's sit in this sec- seated in this section, today's your community party. 
And uh, if you want to head to the activity center, uh, you can meet the people you sit around during church. This is where a big church can get really small, so I want to invite you to join us at that. And then also, if you can believe it, we're already starting to have to think about Christmas. And uh, uh, if you know someone or are someone who plays a stringed instrument, we're going to put together a string orchestra for our Christmas Eve services. And so if you play violin, viola, cello, uh, kind of we're looking for people at like the college level or above. And uh, we'd love to have you. Now, if that's you, or more importantly, if you know someone who, that, who fits that description, you're going to have to help them. They normally don't want to uh, sign up. You're going to have to push them a little bit. So take them to that QR code or just go to newlifechurch.org slash orchestra, and you can find all the information you need right there. All right. Well, before we head out, why don't you just open your hands like this, and let me pray for us. May the Lord bless you. And may he keep you, make his face to shine upon you, and that he would be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his countenance towards you, that you would sense him looking upon you and, and see in that, in that look and sense the Father's heart. That you would, you would sense that over your life and that that would give you peace. We pray this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So good to worship with you. We'll see you next week.